three. You ought to be used to it now. Hopefully we've learned something new as we have been studying through this psalm. Let me just read the beginning part and then we'll move on uh, to our closing today. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Two things we've said um, each session. Number one, this is a psalm of confidence. We realize that David is not praying and he's not saying, God, would you be my shepherd? God, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you direct me? He is confident and he is rejoicing in what God has already done in his life. And so as he looks to the future, he is rejoicing in the character of God and the quality of God and who God is in relation to the psalmist. And then we also see that it is a psalm of pilgrimage. It is a psalm of going through the good times in life and also going through the difficult times in life. It is a psalm of the green pastures and it is a psalm of the valleys of the shadow of death because that is what it is to live. To live means that we have mountaintops, but we also have valley lows. To live means that we go through great times of rejoicing, but we also go through times where maybe we don't even know how we're going to make our way through it. But we depend on God, and he guides us through the difficulties. And so today we find ourselves in verse 5. Now, some commentators believe that this is a, a a new analogy in the psalm where he goes from shepherd to that of host. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. So it could be that the psalmist is going and he is saying, well, now God is not the shepherd, but God is the host. And I have no problem with that. It very well could could be the case, but it also could be that it is the image of a shepherd because a shepherd would often go to the field before he would bring his livestock into the field. And he would come in and he would look for uh, poison, uh, poisonous plants and he would destroy those plants. Maybe he would come make sure that the area was safe. Maybe he would come and make sure there are no predators in the land. And so it could be that there is still the, the imagery of a, a shepherd who is preparing the table for the sheep. It doesn't matter how you see it. The point is, is that God is good to his sheep. God is good to his followers. God goes before us. Deuteronomy 31, 8, it says, It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Oh, I love that. Don't you love that verse? To just think that where I'm going this week, where I have to go tomorrow and the next day, where you have to go this week, God has already gone before you, and he has made preparations in advance for you. God goes before us, and he sets appointments up in our lives so that we can walk and we can fulfill the commission that he has for our lives. I had a guy call me this week, 
and he was asking me to pray about a situation. He said that he was at work, and he was at work way out in West Texas. He's a man that works in the oil field, and so he was way out in West Texas, and he came across an old friend that he has not seen in years. And the friend came up and said, hey, man, I'm going through a tough time. I, I need to talk with you. I need some godly wisdom. And he said, well, okay, let's try to make that happen. Let's get together sometime in the near future, not knowing when that might be. A few hours later, he's hungry for lunch, and so he goes into a restaurant, and he happens to see that friend. And so he orders his lunch, he goes, and he sits down, and he's able to sit with this man in counsel and give godly wisdom to a situation that he's going through. Now, many folks will look at that and say it's coincidence. Say it's just one of these things that just happen, happen chance, just, just happen to happen. But when we see that, that God is sovereign, and that God goes before us. I believe that is the work of God to put people in our path. But we've got to be ready for that. We've got to be looking for opportunities. The reason that you have the job that you have is so that God can be glorified through your work week. The reason that our students go to the schools that they go to and that they're involved in the sports they're involved in and that they go to all these different places in life is so that God can be glorified through those different activities. And so he says, God goes before you, and he makes preparations. Now, you'll notice in verse 5, it talks about oil and a cup. Oil and, and wine, you might say. Now, these were, these were a cause for celebration. They were a, a sign of joy and prosperity because olives and grapes take time to grow. And in times of turmoil and in times of war, they would be without. And so when you see wine and you see oil in the Bible, it's a time for celebration. They were highly sought after. You see in, in Palestine there would be the sun would, would shine fiercely most of the year upon the body. And so as travelers would, would come into a home, they would be greeted with a little bit of oil and they would take that oil and they would rub it on their, their dried out skin, especially their face. And it would offer restoration to their skin. And they would get a drink, maybe a, a glass of wine. I know this is a Baptist church. I'm just speaking the Bible here, okay? <clears throat> they would get a, a drink, and they would take that drink, and it would, it would take care of their parched throat. And so the picture is of, of the Lord who takes care of his people. Remember when Jesus was invited to the house of the Pharisee? Luke chapter 7, it says that Jesus was invited to the house of a Pharisee. Jesus comes in and he is ignored and he's insulted. Nobody pays much attention to him. And in comes a woman. Woman comes in and she's got this expensive bottle of, of perfume and she breaks it over the feet of Jesus. It says in Luke 7, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And the Pharisee is thinking, verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. A religious man says, that's a big sinner. He would not let that woman touch him. And Jesus says, do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. You see, all that to say that oil was a sign of respect. It was a sign of honor. It was a sign of love. And it says in verse 5 that he will anoint us with oil. And then it says the cup will overflow. Now in the Bible, there are cups of, of joy, and there's also cups of judgment. We most commonly think of uh, Jesus when he's praying in the garden, and he prays, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. That was the, the cup of the wrath of God. That was the cup of judgment. But Psalm 116 also talks about the cup of salvation. It says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. In this context, the cup is referring to the rich supply of blessings. And so you picture coming into the table, and the table has been set. The table has been set, and the cup is overflowing. And the, the one who follows the Lord, their skin has been anointed with oil. And it's showing the, the, the goodness of God, the way that he takes care of his followers. It's showing that for those who accept the way of the shepherd, for those who follow the way of the shepherd, they will come into a time in their life when the table has been set and they're able to relax and they are able to rejoice. The care and the provisions have already been taken care of. It is the rewards of following Christ. He prepares a table before us. And so it leads to this question, and I believe it's a question that every one of us have to answer. Is it worth it to follow Jesus? You see, he's picturing this, and he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me, he guides me, he directs me, he takes care of me. And then along this journey, he leads me to this table that he has prepared. And, and so the question in, in my heart is this, is it worth it to follow Christ? The question that you've got to answer in life, is it worth it for me to follow Christ? Mark 4, it, it talks about the parable of the, of the soils. You remember the sower goes out, he begins to sow some seed. Some falls among the path, some falls in the, the rocky soil, but some falls among the thorns. And the thorns, the Bible says, the plant grows up and the plant looks good. It looks like it has the proper depth of the seed and the proper nourishment. But then the Bible says the thorns grow up also. And what happens to that plant? The thorns choke it out. Yeah, I think that's a picture of, of many believers. They're going through life, and, and they're, they're coming to this time where they've got to make this decision. Is it worth it to follow Christ? Is it worth it to abandon the things of the world and go all in for Christ? And many, many so-called believers find themselves being choked out by the things of the world. They're choked out by their jobs. They're choked out by success. They're choked out by popularity. They're choked out by all these worldly things, and their spiritual plant begins to get smaller and smaller and smaller until it dies. And so it says, for those who are faithful, there will be a table that is prepared. Reminds me of Mark chapter 10. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You probably remember the context. And Peter said to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And so Peter's asking, Lord, do you realize what we've done? Lord, we have left everything behind in order to follow you. 
Lord, recognize what we have left behind. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You know what he's saying in that, in that context? He's saying, I promise you it's going to be worth it. Anything that you give up in this life, you will receive it a hundred times. If you're a, a man or a woman who talks about investing, a hundred times return is a great investment. And so he says, anything you lose in this life, you're going to get it back so much more in the life to come. And one day you'll hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And then Revelation says there will be another table prepared for us. Uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 19. Again, the table comes up. The whole point of it, I believe, is this. Is if we are faithful to the calling of the shepherd, if we allow the shepherd to lead us and guide us, he will lead us to a table that has been prepared with great blessings. But then you'll see one more thing. You'll see that it is prepared in the presence of our enemies. The table is prepared in the presence of our enemies. And it expresses that adversity will still remain. It's a reminder that being in Christ does not mean that our troubles, our cares, and our pains are removed from us. What we see is that for the child of God seeking him... In the midst of difficulty, his grace still remains. Do you know one reason I think the prosperity gospel is so large in many churches? I think it's large because when we come to church, many times we're not real about our struggles. We come to church and we might have gone through the most difficult week you could imagine. But when we come in these doors, what do we do? We smile. And we pretend like our family's good and our marriage is good and our finances are good and our job's good. And we come in and we praise the Lord and, and praise God for that. But when we look like we're just perfect in life and a visitor comes in and they see that and they come in with struggles and they come in and their life's not perfect and they've got problems and they come into Woodland Hills Baptist Church and everybody that they see is so perfect, what are they going to think? They're going to think one of two things. Either I don't fit in this group and I need to leave, or if I follow God, my life's going to be perfect because these folks, their life is perfect. And so I think it leads to that prosperity gospel that, that we say, if you follow Christ, everything's going to be good in your life. But what we see in Psalm 23 is that there are valleys of the shadow of death, that we have a table prepared, but in the midst of that table, we're in the presence of our enemies. And so I really think what we need to do as a church is we need to be real with people. Now, I'm not talking about airing out all the dirty laundry. I'm not saying you go get on Facebook and you talk about all your problems. There is no reason for that. I'm not even talking about coming up on stage and let's get a microphone and let's share how terrible our week was. What I'm talking about is maybe in your small group. In your small group where you can just be real with folks, be real with friends that you know they love you and say, guys, let me just, let me just tell you, I'm going through a difficult time in my life. I've got some relationship problems. I need your help. I need your prayer. And I need you to be here for me. Do you know what that is? 
That is biblical community. That is the church coming together as the church. When you come together and, and maybe you're in a, a ladies class and you're a widow and you come and you say, ladies, my week was hard. I miss my husband so much. And, and you're able to, to just cry together and you're able to pray for each other. Or you go into your marriage class and you say, guys, our marriage is tough right now. We're not connecting very well. We need you to pray for us. All of a sudden, we begin to be the church. But when we come and we pretend that everything is always perfect and hunky-dory, we don't grow through that. We've started in our small group having testimonies. And we've had two or three so far. People that just, they're sharing their past. And some of it is some tough stuff. It is some difficult stuff. But to hear what God has done in their life. To see that it's not just reading about things that happened hundreds or thousands of years ago, but God is actively working even in individuals in our church. And I want to tell you, that gets me excited to know what God's done in someone's life this week or last month or last year. That, that gets me excited. And so I say all that just to say, don't be scared to share your story. Don't be scared to share what you've gone through. Because God has brought you through that. He's brought you through the valley. He's brought you through the enemy so that you can glorify him on the other side. And if you keep that story just to you, God is not honored through it. And so be, don't be ashamed of where you've come through. Now, he says this. He says, he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And I got to thinking this week, what in the world does that mean? How is there a table prepared in the presence of of our enemies. And I got to thinking about our life, and I, I thought of a few that I, I believe applied. Many of you know that we, we struggled to have children for the first few years of our marriage. Um, and, and a lot of folks struggle with that. It's a, it's a big concern. And for us, man, we always dreamed of having children, and it just seemed like it, it just wouldn't happen. And so we went, and we started to see a specialist, and Shreveport, and we uh, were, were, you know, trying to see what we could do to have children, and, and it went on for months and months and months, and it's just an emotional roller coaster where you just, you just hope this is the month, this is the month, and then it, it doesn't happen. And then so the next month, you, you're praying and you're hoping and you're, you're anticipating, and then again, it, it doesn't happen. And the, the doctor said, his name was Dr. London, and he said, this is the, this is the last time. After this, the only option left is IVF in vitro, and in vitro, all I knew about it was it was very expensive, didn't know if we'd be able to do it, and so we're just really, we're at this point that it was like, I don't know what's going to happen, and so uh, me, it was tough on me, it was tough on uh, my wife, and uh, there'd be nights that she would just be crying, and, and I didn't know what to do, um, but one night, she was reading her Bible, and all of a sudden, she looked, and she said, Case, check this out. And she read out of Hebrews, talking about faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And she, she read that verse, and uh, I listened, and I said, yeah, baby, that's a good verse. Didn't know what she was getting at. And she said, I, I think God just gave me a peace about our situation through this verse. And I said, okay. He didn't give it to me, but I, I thought, well, that's, that's wonderful. I, and I was scared because I was thinking this. I was thinking, baby, don't get your hopes up. You know, because her hopes had been up so many times, and then there's the, the fallout, but I smiled, and we went on with it. And we went to that last appointment, and when we got back in the car, there was a song that was playing. It was a song by Cutlass, and then it 
let me just read some of the lyrics to you. It was a song and it said this. It says, I've seen dreams that move the mountains, hope that doesn't ever end, even when the sky is falling. I've seen miracles just happen, silent prayers get answered, broken hearts become brand new. Now that's what faith can do. And the song was just starting, and we got in the car, and we, we heard that song, and it was like the Lord spoke to both of us and said, it's going to be okay. And later on, we, that, that time, that procedure led to two little boys, Mason and Maddox, who had brought us so much joy, so blessed, loved them so much. And it was one of those things that we were in the midst of it, and it seemed like there was, there was just so much turmoil all around, but in the midst of the enemies. God prepared this table and said it's going to be okay. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been through a time where there should have been no peace, there should have been no joy, but yet God spoke and he gave this blessing in the midst of it. One more I thought of for our life is, again, I guess it's often when you have kids, but we were at Hallsville Western Days, and that's where you go to the school, and there's kids running around, and they're, you know, doing where they're jumping in the bags, and, and all this stuff is going. So kids are screaming. It's loud. And my phone rings, and I didn't recognize the number, so I stepped to the side and uh, answer, <coughs> and uh, I said, hello. And I hear, Case, this is, uh, this is Dr. Uh, Martin. And never a good deal when the doctor calls. You don't expect that. This is when Brittany was pregnant with uh, our little girl, Kaysen. And I said, oh, okay, hey, how are you doing? And she said, well, the reason I'm calling is there was an abnormality on the, the recent ultrasound, and uh, Kaysen has an echogenic incardiatic focus. Something I'd never heard of that before, didn't know what that was. And I said, well, Doc, I have no idea what that is. Tell me more. And she says, well, it, it could be something dealing with her heart that can mean that there are some more serious problems. And kids are screaming, there's all this stuff going on, I'm trying to, trying to listen, trying to get details, well, what do we need to do, what, what, what's the next step, and it's just, you've ever been there, it's like just everything just happens all at once, and you're trying to process it. And um, so finish that and go find Brittany. She's supposed to be working the rest of the day. And I tell her what happened, and she's just broken again. You know, it's one of those things that it's just, it's tough. Go home that night, and, and I couldn't sleep. And so I'm, up, I'm working on my sermon, and I'm working on, and I'm reading out of John chapter 5, and I come to this verse. Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, the context is, remember, his daughter was ill, and Jesus was on the way, and they got sidetracked along this trip. And so Jesus gives this, and he said, do not fear, but only believe. Just a simple verse, do not fear, but only believe. And in that moment, God gave me that peace. He said, Case, don't worry about it, just believe. You preach about faith, you talk about faith, how important faith is. Don't fear, just believe. And in that moment, again, it was in the midst of adversity, in the midst of all these struggles, God had put this table out and said, if you'll just trust me, it's going to be okay. And maybe, maybe you know something like that. Maybe you've been there and you've experienced a joy and a peace when there should not have been any joy or any peace in your life. I think of Paul and Silas when they are in prison, but what are they doing? They're singing. I mean, there should be no peace. There should be no joy. They're in a terrible spot, but they begin to sing. In the presence of their enemies, God prepared this table for them. I think of Stephen. Let me, let me just read it to you, Acts chapter 7. He was, he was just proclaiming Christ, and they got mad, and it says, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. 
And the witnesses lay their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. How does that happen? When, I mean, you've got people throwing rocks as hard as they can at your head to kill you, to have that peace to say, Lord, don't hold this against them. It is a table prepared in the presence of enemies. And I love the way God does that. And I think what we need to be as a church is we need to cater in that table. You say, well, how do we do that? Here's how we do it. When you know someone that's struggling, encourage them. Let the Lord use you to set that table and encourage them in the presence of enemies. You know, you ever in life and all of a sudden you just start thinking about somebody? Just out of the blue, you start thinking about a friend or someone from church or someone that you care about. It may be that God wants you to send them a message or give them a phone call and say, hey, I just want you to know that I love you and that I care about you. That might change their entire week. It may be that someone's struggling and they need you to come and just be a brother or sister in Christ and just listen to them. It may be that you can prepare this table. God can use you and work through you and you can just call somebody and you can say, hey, Brother Greg, I know you're going through a hard time. Can I just take you to lunch? And you just go and you're just there for somebody and you listen and you minister and you turn into the family of God and you begin to set it up. Who in life are you ministering to? Who in life are you serving? By just a text, an email, a phone call, a visit, a handshake, just a a prayer for someone. When we know that someone in this room is hurting or is struggling, oh, they ought to be bombarded by love, right? You ever been there? You ever been through a tough time and it was just the encouragement is what got you through? He talks about this table in the presence of enemies. They're in it, there's enemies that are all around, but yet the presence of God is greater. And so we can be a part of that. This text is similar to that found in Romans 8. What shall we say then, talking about adversity? If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also be with him graciously to give us all things? And it talks about the blessings that come through the grace of God. My grace is sufficient for you. And so think about in your life who you can minister to. Last thing we see is this, to dwell in the presence of the Lord forever. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, we realize that that's talking about a future home, don't we? It says in John 14, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I I am you may be also. But I, I just wonder, can we experience this here and now? Can we experience this this presence of God that it speaks of, this dwelling in the house of the Lord forever? Can we experience that right here and right now in our life? Because I believe if we always see that as a place, we'll never experience it here and now. If we always picture that as having no more problems or pain or adversity, then we will not experience it here 
in our present situation. But do you remember the Lord's Prayer? He prays, Lord, would your will be done? Would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? So bring what you've got in heaven and let it be so right here. Talking about experiencing the presence of God right here. Dwelling in the presence of God right here in our life. I believe that's something that we can take part in. Session one, we talked about what what theologians call the already but not yet. There's some things in our faith that we're waiting on and they will come in the future, but there are still some things that we can experience right now. And I believe to dwell in the presence of God is something that we do not have to wait on, but it's something that we can experience in our midst currently. I believe often it is a choice that we make to acknowledge that God is present and he's active in us and around us, to dwell in the presence of God. I I don't know what it is for your life. For me, it's being out on the the baseball fields and and watching my boys and just thinking, God, I'm so proud of those boys. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me with those boys. And all of a sudden, I just feel like I'm in the presence of God. Maybe it's watching my my little girl as she's babbling and she's talking and seeing the way that God has just brought her together, added her to our family. And I know, God, that's only you. God, thank you. Maybe it's spending time with my wife, experiencing the presence of God. Maybe it's on a, a beautiful day going outside and just feeling the beautiful temperature and looking at the beauty around us and saying, God, you created all this. God, thank you. I love it so much. Maybe it's when we we come together as a church and we worship together and we sing his praises. And for a brief moment, we forget about all the things outside the doors. We forget about all the hurting and all the struggles. And in that moment, it is the church coming together to sing praises to God. And in that moment, we are dwelling in the house of God. Maybe it's a a time like this where we are seeking the scriptures and we learn more about God and we are dwelling in his house midst maybe it's in your small group maybe it's maybe it's a time of serving when y'all came out a couple weekends ago and it was a Saturday and there were people all around and we were just serving the Lord together and we were trimming bushes and we were pulling weeds and we were laying mulch and we were shampooing carpets and we were cleaning the kitchen and all this was going on and it was the family of God and we were serving in such a way that says, you know what God, this is for you. It's not about me and my life. We're just serving together. It's one of those times that you experience dwelling in the house of the Lord. Now, I realize that that's coming to a climax in the future. After we leave this life, there will be a climax, and we will remain forever in the presence of God. But but I don't think it's got to just be the destination. Some of it is the journey to it. This is a psalm of pilgrimage where we talk about the highs and the lows of life. And our Christian experience is not just looking for the future, but it's about the abundant life that we can experience right here and right now, even through the valleys of the shadow of death and even through the enemies who are all around us. And so I just wonder, in in, in your life, do you feel the presence of God? Do you put yourself in situations, do you acknowledge that God's around you? Do, Do you see God in the little things See God in the little things, in the way that he provides for you, in the way that he takes care of you, in the way that he leads you and guides you and has given you people that that love you 
and that care about you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Everybody has things that they want. For many in the world, it is money. <coughs> it's recognition. It's a bigger house or a nicer car. It's more success, fame, fortune, popularity. But all these things leave us empty. The only thing that will lead us to the point where we have no want is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we follow the great shepherd, there will come a time when he will prepare a table before us. And there might be struggles and there might be difficulties, but in the midst of the struggles, we will be at peace. A peace that the Bible says passes all understanding because we know that we're right where the Lord has called us to be. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this psalm, God, that we've spent the last three weeks looking at. Lord, we thank you that you are a great shepherd and you care for us and you restore us and you lead us through the good times, through the difficult times, God, that you prepare a table for us.